You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Discovering Multifamily podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. And today we have Anson Matley. Uh, with us with Peak Financing. Uh, he's the CEO and he's got decades of experience in uh, commercial um, real estate um, from a, a financing perspective. Um, he uh, was heading up, he had headed up a bank branch before uh, starting Peak Financing. And, um, you know, over the past 15 years, he's been advising family offices, high net worth individuals, and um, investment funds to facilitate their investments in commercial real estate, um, and not only the U.S., but also in, in Europe as well. And uh, today what we're going to talk about is uh, kind of the state of um, financing. Um, mostly uh, we're going to talk about multifamily, obviously. That's why we're listening to this show. And um, we're talking about where the market was. Um, we're recording this in the beginning of November of 2020. So um, a lot has changed since March of 2020. Um, and moving forward into 2021, um, how liquid the markets are going to be and what type of debt you think would be available. So Anton, thank you for coming on the show. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for having me on. Great. So um, where are we? Where, where, where were we and where are we now? Where are we going? Yeah, uh, we, we certainly are in very interesting times. Uh, we have... Uh, everyone uh, has been in one form or another has been affected by COVID-19, right? Uh, and I would say certainly on the mo- in the multifamily space, we have been affected too. But compared to every other commercial real estate class, multifamily has been doing extremely well on every front compared to the other class of classes. Uh, as you know from your own properties, Anthony, uh, and we know from all other, our clients, uh, collections have been holding up really well. There is still a lot of equity interest uh, on the investor side in, in that asset class. And most importantly, uh, that is also driven to a large extent by the availability of financing, debt financing. And debt financing, apart from a brief period in March when everything came to a halt really, uh, on transaction side as well as on the financing side, uh, it has been extremely positive. There are some lenders that have moved out only on the bridge side, bridge lenders. Some bridge lenders have, have closed shops. The ones that are still active, they have uh, tightened their, uh, their rules of what they are willing to do. Uh, but they are still active and so only the ones that have a strong balance sheet are very active in, in the bridge uh, segment. And uh, CMBS only also has pulled back to a large extent. You see some CMBS transactions that are being done compared to pre-COVID-19. It's a very small segment. Banks have been pulling back a little bit, but they're still pretty active, uh, at least up to now. But what really uh, was the main driver behind the still a very strong performance uh, that also allowed new investors to come in during these times is the agencies. 
Wolf, uh, Fanny and Freddie have been extremely active. They are essentially in line to, to close uh, a loan volume that is uh, along the lines of last year. HUD uh, has a massive demand. Uh, HUD has never seen anything like this when it comes to uh, requests for, for their acquisition loans as well as for refinancings. So only in the multifamily space compared to everything else in the commercial real estate uh, uh, market has been extremely positive. Uh, when we look at hospitality and retail, obviously they have suffered the most, but uh, even in some of the other segments outside of, of maybe warehousing, uh, industrial, it has been uh, very difficult and we luckily have not seen that on the multifamily side at all. Yeah. And why do you think that is? Why, why haven't we seen the pain? Um, we, there was a little bit of pain. I mean, there's, there is pain um, with some owners, um, but why haven't we seen that as a whole in the country? Yeah. More foreclosures, <laughs> you know, is it, is it not started yet or, or what? Yeah, we, we have to see, right? It's only the, uh, the stimulus packages have helped quite a bit. The unemployment bonus payments have helped tremendously, particularly in the C-class space, where tenants were able to uh, still collect uh, unemployment benefits and or stimulus uh, money. So they had a chance to really pay the rents. Uh, we will see how, how it will evolve. Obviously, a lot of uh, or a significant portion of the stimulus money, even local ones, have run out of steam. And the unemployment benefits also have been cut back. So we will see how things will evolve over the next few months. So we certainly have a, a period of uncertainty that we are facing. Uh, and the, uh, the eviction laws have also uh, an impact. So we have to see what is happening there, but certainly up to now, uh, multifamily certainly has benefited from, from stimulus packages, unemployment, additional unemployment benefits, and that has helped to, to keep collections up in most markets, right? I think it's important to highlight that there are some markets that are suffering, uh, like New York City or close by, right? There's, there's only some sub-markets in, in New York City that are suffering quite a bit. Uh, it's particularly the very dense large centers that are suffering. But uh, when you look at more the suburban, the sprawling markets, they are doing exceedingly well in most instances. And that's, I would say that flight into these into these markets only has helped to keep these properties full and rent collections have uh, still been pretty strong. Uh, at the same time, when it comes to lenders, uh, obviously Fannie and Freddie and Hutt, they are not exposed to hospitality or not exposed to retail. So they do not have to essentially cut back on the multifamily side because they now have larger losses in, in order commercial real estate segments. So they can continue to lend in, in that space. And while they have obviously set up additional procedures and safety nets, and maybe we can touch on that like principal and interest uh, escrows and all that, they have seen uh, apart from some parts in, in their portfolio, still pretty, very strong performance. And that's why 
they have continued to lend because they feel comfortable with with their underwriting approach. Sure. Uh, yeah. Can you talk about some of the restrictions that um, tightened up um, kind of across the board, but specifically for multifamily agency? You mentioned a reserve. What is that all about? Yes. Uh, so that's uh, initially it was extremely tough. Right. They they came out with with typically 12 months all the way up to 18 months, depending on the program, uh, for an escrow requirement of uh, 12 months of principal and an interest of taxes and insurance. So that amounted to a massive amount right up front that had to go into escrow. After about a month to two months, both Fannie and Freddie cut back on these restrictions. They removed the tax and insurance escrow requirement. But what still is in place uh, are the principal and interest uh, uh, escrow requirements. So there it depends on uh, how high the leverage is and or the debt service coverage is. So it can be typically for a full leverage uh, Fannie loan, conventional loan, it's still 12 months of principal and interest. For the small balance side, it's still 18 months, which can really hurt. And depending on uh, what, where that leverage is, right, Fannie has kind of tiers. But if you're dropping it to the tier two, at uh, tier three, then the, that reserve drops down from 12 months to six months. And once you drop even further down to 55 leverage or 155 debt service coverage, then it falls away. With Freddie Mac, the conventional side, it's... Uh, it's nine months uh, if the debt service coverage is, is below 1.4, but it will be waived if it's above. So a little bit of different rules there. Uh, but particularly for syndicators that tend to go for, for uh, higher leverage, very often these requirements are in place. Also for the SPL, uh, it's still 12 months instead of the nine month. Uh, and the reason for that, when we look at both Fannie and Freddie SPL, uh, the largest uh, forbearance requests came in in that small balance space, typically six up to six million, or with Freddie SPL up to seven and a half million, up to hundred units, and that uh, is the reason why they are more conservative there because they have seen the the biggest stress in the in the, with the smaller properties. And uh, as a result of that, they are just a little bit tighter when it comes to their underwriting. That makes sense. Um, when do you see these restrictions? This is really the biggest restriction that came across after COVID, wherever we are now, after yeah. COVID. Um, so uh, when do you see those dropping off? And, and what does that mean? You have 12 months of principal and interest, um, typically. So you, when do you get that money back? And and also, do you see them in place for the entire, you know, 2021 moving forward? Yes. So, so generally speaking, for a Fannie loan, you have to wait until the first anniversary of, of that loan. Uh, they may make some exceptions, but these are the, the basic rules. Obviously, the debt service coverage needs to meet uh, the, the loan agreement for at least two quarters prior to these funds being released. So if you, uh, let's say you, you get into a new loan, make sure that within six months that your debt service coverage meets the, the minimum requirements of that loan so that you then are able to get these funds back as soon as that 
lockout period or whatever you want to call it is over. Obviously, you have to be in good standing. That goes without saying. Now, with, with Freddie, potentially it's going much faster. He can't get it back maybe even after three months, but that requires that all the restrictions are lifted, not just at federal, state, but also local level. Uh, and you also have to show that your rental collections are, uh, are meeting your debt service coverage for the last quarter. And as always, no defaults that you meet all the requirements of the loan agreement. So Freddie Conventional is only more attractive there that you potentially can get your funds back much faster. Now, in reality, uh, I think we probably will sti still be in some form of restriction at the federal, state, and local level for six months. Right? Uh, it would surprise me if, if all these restrictions drop off over the next uh, three months. So in reality, I think we still have probably even in the best case, six months plus until anyone can see these funds to come back. Now, uh, the other question is how long is it going to take until Fannie and Freddie will reduce these requirements? There it depends a lot on where we are going, obviously, with vaccinations and whether there is a comfort level that we are now have, have uh, stepped over that hurdle and we are able to go into a more stable environment. I do not see that they, they are going to make any changes to these rules. I rather see them uh, make maybe adjust these rules after you close the loan if situation really improves very quickly that they say, okay, initially we said it needs to stay in there for 12 months, but now can get it back after nine months or six months or whatever it might be. Interesting. And so can you talk to us a little bit about why the agencies and the reason we're talking about this is because in, in even in, in my opportunities, I like to put agency financing on it. Um, why is agency financing so attractive? Why not just go the bridge route or go the local bank route? Sometimes the rates are comparable why does everybody want the agency product? Yes, uh, so it's only compared to a bank. Uh, the big element uh, is that it's non-recourse, always subject to bad boy carve-outs as, as usual. But it's only that uh, non-recourse piece is very important, and it's particularly important when for syndicators that partner up with other, with other partners uh, where you potentially a financial partner, and they certainly like it much better when it's non-recourse. Uh, but there are other aspects, right? With agency loans, you can easily get to 10 years, 12 years, potentially more. With banks, uh, some banks go all the way up fixed to 10 years, but the majority try to stay shorter at the five, maybe seven-year range. And on top of that, you, you also have typically an amortization that is capped at 25 years. There are always exceptions, right? But uh, as a general rule, that's where, where banks try to be unless it's a really nice asset. And uh, particularly, again, for a syndicator, it's also important for institutionals, but because they are not pushing the leverage nearly as much, it's not that important in that segment. But certainly in the syndication space, it's, uh, it matters whether you have a 30-year amortization or whether you have a 25-year amortization. 
And that also is impacted by interest only, where you have with banks, very few banks, if it's stabilized property, are willing to grant even one year of interest only. And if they do, it's usually just one year. Whereas with, with agencies, it's a little bit easier to get multiple years of interest only. Again, that helps you with with your cash on cash return to your investors only during the first few years. Sure. Um, so how can you get an agency along? How do you, because it was very, um, I wouldn't say strict, but there are stricter requirements to qualify for agency loans, even compared to regular bank loans. They seem to be a little bit more strict. So what are some yeah. of those requirements that you've seen? Yes, so, so certainly at the property level, probably the key requirement is the stabilization, which is, uh, as a general rule, 9490, which stands for 90% physical occupancy for the last 90 days. There are, when you buy a property, you may be able to drop below that. Uh, and we, we have done deals where the in-place physical occupancy was at around 85%. And the buyer was still able to get agency loans in place with the right plan, with the right property management company, with their experience that they're already having. But as a general rule, it's 9490. Uh, so that is is on the property side. Obviously, it needs to be a property that overall meets agency requirements. So it needs to be safe. It, it cannot be in a crime-ridden area. The usual elements that that. Uh, uh, a lender typically wants to see. It's just that the agency is a little bit more restrictive. Now, when it comes to the sponsors, the, uh, there are a couple of requirements. It's it's the net worth. The, the group as a whole needs to come in with a net worth that is equal or higher than the loan amount. The post-closing liquidity, there are some exceptions, but as a general rule, it's 10% less of the loan amount post-closing. So it's not prior to you spending the money making a down payment, but after you close the deal, you still should have 10% plus as, as a sponsorship group. And with both Fannie and Freddie, you also need to have experience in multifamily. With Fannie, generally, if you have one multifamily experience, ideally for two years for a similar size of property, that's sufficient. For Freddie, they tend to be a little bit more conservative there, where they would like to see additional experiences, just not one. And the interesting part there is, in the past, Freddie SPL was actually a very uh, easy program to get into as a newcomer without having prior experience, as long as you had third-party management in place. This has fallen off. So now Freddie SPL is actually more conservative than Infani was. So now with, as a general rule with Freddie SPL, you need to have experience in three multifamily properties. And you also have the requirements that you should live within 100 miles or one of the uh, the partner should live within 100 miles of the property. You can get exception waivers for that, but you still have to have a good argument why why Freddie should should agree to that. So that unfortunately has fallen away. So now it's even more important when you're someone who is new to the game to partner up with someone who 
is experienced, right? And that's the beauty about multifamily, as you know, Anthony, is that you can partner up with others. If, you're, if your balance sheet is not strong enough, partner up with someone who brings in a financial strength. If your experience is not strong enough, partner up with someone who, has, who is able to bring experience to the table. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so what are, I'm assuming you're doing a lot of multifamily loans. Um, do you see any more recovery from other asset classes? Like you mentioned, the CMBS market's still there, but it's not as liquid as before for office buildings. That's you know generally what, what they used to lend on. Um, what, I guess, what do you see for other asset classes? I'm just curious. Yes. Moving forward, and the, and the you know the capital markets. Yes. Uh, so CMBS only for multifamily uh, is already back and available. It's still not nearly as liquid as it was before. Uh, but if a property doesn't fit somehow into the agency box, uh, because the occupancy might be slightly off, maybe the sponsor experience is not there that it would fit in. Uh, CMBS is only an option. Uh, I try to, for our clients, we try to stay away from CMBS whenever we can. But if that is the only non-recourse option, then that's fine uh, to go with. Now, in the other asset classes, uh, certainly for office buildings, it's possible. Uh, for retail, it's possible if it's grocery anchored and national credit tenants with long leases in place. Uh, the hardest certainly are hospitality and the typical retail with large box retails with uh, with with more uh, difficult tenants in place. And uh, what is also doing really well are the uh, industrial and warehousing properties. So that is something that uh, you get uh, CMBS loans are certainly readily available. But there again, it all depends on the lease structures, right? Because you do not have these uh, uh, dozens or hundreds of leases in place as you have a multifamily. Typically, you may have one lease or you may have just a handful of leases. So these leases are much more tightly scrutinized, whether they meet the requirements or these tenants credit worthy or the lease terms acceptable to the lender. But as long as they are, it's only very doable to get these these loans in place. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I guess, how could people reach out to you? Um, how can they learn more about your company and learn more about you um, if they wanna, you know, whether they're a syndicator or they're just looking to learn more sure. about how the financing wor- world works? How do they reach out to you? Yes, so uh, our website address is peakfinancing.com. My email address is anton at peakfinancing.com. I'm also active on LinkedIn, active on Facebook. So you can search uh, there for me and you will will find me there. You can send me a message there or by email. So we are pretty easy to reach. Great. Anton, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. If our listeners could please do us a favor and go on to iTunes and just give uh, us a rating and review that will help uh, Anton and uh, myself get our message out to more people because that's just the way iTunes does your rankings. So I'd appreciate if you do that and definitely reach out to Anton uh, if you're interested in, if you're already an active uh, syndicator and you're interested to learn more about um, options that he might have for you on your deals. I'm going to put a link to 
Anton's website as well as all his social media platforms um, on our iTunes description and also in our uh, social media posts. So I uh, really appreciate you coming on again, Anton, and uh, hopefully, hopefully see you again soon. That was great. Thanks, Anthony. Excellent.